Welcome to the Kalos Church Podcast. We're so honored that you're joining us today. The word kalos is a poorly pronounced Greek word that means beautiful. And we believe here at Kalos that the words and the ways of Jesus are very beautiful. That's why each week we're bringing content to make known that beauty. So let's go ahead and jump right in to this last Sunday's sermon. Well, we are in a reading series this summer. We do this every summer in Ephesians. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but Ephesians is making us radical for Jesus. It's just making us so pumped about what God has for our church, for your life. And we are actually in chapter three, and we have shared this before, where the first part of Ephesians is all about our vertical relationship with God. And the second part, which we're going to get into starting next week, is all about our horizontal living, how we're going to love one another, how we're going to live together. If the first part is about our upward life, the second part is our outward life. If the first part is about our belief, what we believe in God, our doctrine, the second part is about our behavior, our responsibility. And so we see that Paul is writing a letter to the church of Ephesus, and he's really making some really beautiful, profound prayers that he prays for us. And as we started this series in Ephesians, I felt like the Lord spoke to me to preach on a topic. And it's, it's a little bit of an intimidating topic, and that's why I said, would you just give me some love back and forth today? And, and the topic I felt the Holy Spirit tell me to preach on was the deconstruction of faith. And this is a big topic, and it's a very relevant topic that I feel that we need to, as the church, be talking about in our day. And so we are going to pick up in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Paul is writing, and he prays these beautiful prayers. He says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine according to his power that is a work in us, To him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Let me ask you this question. Do you feel like your faith and your life with God, do you feel like your faith is deeply rooted in Christ? Do you feel like your understanding of Jesus and your commitment to him, is it deep? Does it run deep? Can it withstand stormy weathers? The truth is, I believe that the process of being deeply rooted and established in Christ can take a lifetime. And to be really honest, it can be not the most joyful process all the time. It can be wonderful, but it can be downright painful at times. Maybe some of you have experienced that in your life before. And I believe that everybody, this has happened to me, I'm going to share a a little bit about it today, but I believe everybody at some point in their walk with Christ comes to something you may have heard of called a crisis of faith, a deconstruction of faith. And if you haven't experienced this yet, it's going to be great for you to hear this so that if it happens, if you start coming into this place in your life with God, you kind of know what is going on. 
but we begin to have a crisis of faith. And I don't think that we should be afraid of this. I think we need to be talking about it. And so today, I am excited to share with you more about the revelation I believe God has for us in this process. So what is deconstruction? It's a big word. I have a definition here for you, so we are operating on the same page. Deconstruction is a systematic pulling apart of the belief system you were raised in. This typically happens when one has questions, doubts about their faith that go unanswered. Eventually, those issues force themselves to the surface and must be dealt with sometimes brought on by an event in your life that the faith of your childhood didn't prepare you for, like a death, a loss, or a difficult season. And I would like to add to this definition today that deconstruction is a part of the process of being deeply rooted and established in Christ. I think that we can look at deconstruction as a part of this beautiful process where we eventually build our lives on the solid rock of Jesus and we begin to fall in love with him even more. Much of the material that I'm going to be sharing today comes from a pastor who I really admire and respect. His name is John Mark Comer. He has been a pastor in the Pacific Northwest for many years, and I love much of his teaching. He's done a lot of research, and he shares a lot about what's happening in our generation with this process of deconstruction. And so much of what I'm going to share today is that. And psychologists are talking about three different ways that we experience development, our psychological development. The first is construction. The quick way to remember construction is our upbringing, what we were taught, the things that were handed to us. The second phase is construction. That's when we begin to do this pulling apart. We run into something and it begins to make us have some questions, some doubt. Another term that's often used is skepticism. We have questions. We begin to wonder what in the world is going on. And then we have this third phase, which is reconstruction. And reconstruction is the process of rebuilding your faith. From that deconstruction, rebuilding it and falling in love with Jesus. When I think about this process, it reminds me of what it was like to be adopted from a different country and move here to America. I was only three years old when I was adopted from India. And I grew up in small town Podunk, Kansas. You guys have heard this before. They were cows in the pastures. We ate casseroles. We just played outside all day. I mean, it was country. I literally grew up on a tractor with my dad. And it was the best. Actually, Pastor Brit even drove that tractor off when we like left our wedding. Anyway, it was just so awesome. I mean, this was the country, people. And I loved it. I loved how I grew up. And I will never forget when my college friends came to my house in the country in Kansas for the very first time. They're looking out the window and they say, Amrisa, what's that pond outside? And I said, what pond are you talking about? And they were like, well, there's a pond that you guys dug and there's water in it. And I was like, oh, do you mean the lagoon? And they were like, what? And I was like, well, that's where all of our septic goes. And I said, well, you know, when you flush the toilet and all the yucky stuff, it goes into the lagoon. And they were like, what? That is disgusting. I, they were like, that is not what a lagoon is. And I was like, well, what is a lagoon? You guys, I literally never heard. The lagoons were like beautiful bodies of water with sparkling <laughs> crystal water that you like. I didn't know. In Kansas, lagoons are not that, okay? <laughs> This is where gross things go. I mean, I don't know. And they were just like, wait, so you just have a pond in your backyard where that goes? I was like, yeah. 
I mean, I just didn't know anything better. And so this was my construction. This is what I was taught. This is what I was born with, not born with, but this is when I came to Kansas. This is what I knew. I didn't know anything different. And then in my mid-20s, I decided to take a trip back to India for the very first time since I was adopted. And I didn't remember anything. And I mean, there were cows, but there were cows in the street. Okay, not in the pastures. There was the spiciest food of my life. Like, so painful. It was so spicy. And then there was just colors and beautiful people everywhere. The culture was totally different. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I lived three years of my life here. And I thought that when I went back to India, I would feel a connection. You know, I thought maybe, maybe I'll just like hear the language and just be able to speak it somehow. No. I went back to India, couldn't connect, no, no emotional connection, no psychological, nothing. No connection. And it brought me to a little bit of a, a deconstruction, not a deconstruction of faith, but a, de, a, a crisis of identity, an identity crisis. I was like, well, who am I? And why don't I connect with this? And what about the fact that I'm a brown girl who grew up in Kansas and I just sort of like had all of this colliding together and I began to ask serious questions about who I was. And I'm so glad that I asked some of those questions because I came to a point of reconstruction where I was able to reconcile my origin story and my life growing up in, in Kansas. And I began to be more confident in my own skin. And I began to embrace that I am both, both of those people, both of those places. This was a part of my story. Do you see the process? of construction and deconstruction and reconstruction. And this is what I realized at the end. I just realized you can take the country, the girl out of the country, but you can't finish it with me. You can't take the country out of the girl. There we go. That's what I realized. We live today in what we call here in the Seattle area, we live today in what many would call a progressive city. And we have a lot of people, including myself, my husband from the Midwest, a lot of people have moved here. It's a very transient city. And what we're seeing is a lot of people coming into this progressive city and really beginning to be exposed to new thinkings, new ideas, new politics, new everything for the very first time. And what happens is we, when we begin to be uh, exposed to new ideologies, to new life, to new religion, to all of it, it makes us begin to wonder about our own life. And a lot of times it will lead us to this place of asking questions and being curious and exploring some new things that we had never experienced before. And I believe that as a pastor, we need to take these moments with people and we need to disciple them. Because what I'm hearing a lot from Christian leaders is that they want to have nothing to do with young people who are deconstructing their faith. And it's bothering me. What we're saying is, why can't they just believe? The progressives are just taking them away. This is not an attitude of the kingdom. We are leaders of the church. We are Christian people who have a responsibility to help believers go deep, have roots that are deeply rooted and established in faith. And in Jesus Christ. And you know what is so cool? Deconstruction is, uh, to be honest, is only dangerous if we're not committed to reconstruction. And I'm going to get to that in just a minute. But deconstruction is only dangerous. It can be dangerous. Because you say, Amrita, isn't it dangerous? Shouldn't we be worried about skepticism? Shouldn't we be wondering about people who have doubt? It's only dangerous if we can't help these people get to a place of reconstruction. Amen. And we see in the scriptures an encouragement to actually wrestle with our understanding of God in the scriptures. In Acts 
17.11, it says, Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scripture every day to see if Paul, if what Paul said was true. And as a result, many of them believed. As a result, many of them believed. 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, and who correctly handles the word of God. Proverbs 25.2, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, to search out a matter is the glory of kings. We see that there is an encouragement in the scriptures to examine, to ask questions. You don't have to feel ashamed of that. We see right here that we can do that in a healthy way and not dangerous way. I want to talk today about three phases that I notice that people walk through in their life with Jesus to become deeply rooted and established in Christ. And I have this plant here, if you will notice. I don't know how this plant is alive because it has been very neglected in my home. So this is a supernatural plant right here. But as we talk about as we talk about what it means to be deeply rooted and established in Christ, I want you to think about the roots of this plant in this soil. And I'm going to be talking about the process of deconstruction and reconstruction. And I want us to just visually have this plant in mind. Because clearly this plant has gotten to a place where it can produce fruit. It can produce these beautiful leaves. So phase one. Phase one is called construction. Everybody say construction. 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 This is the top soil. This is the soft, often full of nutrients. The, 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 uh, when this was first planted, the roots were just starting to go deep into the soil. It got through that top soil. And the way we can think about construction, as I mentioned before, is it's really the set of beliefs or the worldview that you kind of were brought up in. It's what you know. It was what was handed to you. Maybe some of you would even say, I just gave my heart to Jesus last week. I can't get enough of him. I can't get enough of his spirit. I'm not asking any questions right now. That's okay. You're in that top soil, and your roots are just beginning to go deep into who Christ is, into the love of the Father. When Paul prays, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Part of this process is understanding what was ingrained in you. It's part of understanding how you were brought up, what you believe. These are the lagoon moments, people. The lagoon moments that I mentioned before. You may have grown up in a Christian bubble where everything was black and white. There was just right and wrong. It was so easy. You came to a place in your life where it just started to become not that easy. I remember, uh, so I grew up in that kind of world where uh, small town, we love Jesus. It was just you know, not progressive. I wouldn't call it pro progressive at all. And uh, I just, like, everything was just pretty white or black. And uh, my family taught me that alcohol is sin, I mean, it doesn't matter if it's a wedding. It doesn't matter what the event is. Anybody who drank alcohol was sitting. And I mean, I, I mean, I remember thinking all the bad kids drank, all the good kids went to church. I mean, that's how I grew up. And I, I go, I move as a young adult to Colorado, and I meet this handsome fella, Pastor Pradeepin, and he has a very different thought process about alcohol than I do. <laughs> I'm not saying, I mean, you can come to your own conclusions about that. And I remember quoting from the Bible, Pradeepin, 
The Bible says, do not be drunk on wine. From Ephesians, actually, we're going to get there. And he would tell me about when Jesus brought out the best wine in the party after everybody had already been drinking. And we were finding ourselves having to deal with our construction. This is how we grew up. My family did not want alcohol at our wedding. His family did want alcohol at our wedding. We were confronted, and we had to begin to search the scriptures for ourselves to understand what we really believed biblically about alcohol. And for many of us, we have built our lives around the faith traditions our grandparents and our parents believed in that set, they set up that worldview for us, and it's not all bad. But we do often come to this crisis of faith, and we have to begin to ask ourselves, what part of my construction is good and holy and wonderful? What part do I want to keep? And what part has been corroded and corrupted in this world by sin, through generations? What, what part do I need to let go of? And that can be a scary process. At some point in your life, you'll begin to ask, what do I want to keep from my upbringing and what do I want to leave behind? This is the first process of deconstruction, is construction. I want to encourage you If you begin to come into a place of doubt and questioning, not sure what's going on, I want to encourage you to start with asking yourself, what is it about my construction that's in question right now? I believe that there are many parts of our construction that we need to keep and we need to pass down to our children, and there are some parts we need to let go of. This is our construction. Every generation has a need for deconstruction, but there's a healthy way and an unhealthy way to do it. We see that Jesus in his time on earth made radical critiques of the religious people. Human traditions had corrupted biblical truth, and Jesus was calling it out. Jesus used scripture to critique the world's corruption of the truth. He came against religious practices that were harmful to women. He came against, he fought for tax collectors. He brought humanity to the poor, where society at the time thought those people were all second-class citizens. This is Jesus bringing some questions to what the religious leaders were saying. We are not called to deconstruct the ways of Jesus, but the ideologies of the world. And this is what Jesus did when he was on the earth. The dangerous kind of deconstruction is using the world to critique scripture's authority over the church. That's the dangerous kind. So when we think about this, we think, well, how did Jesus do this? I want to follow the ways that Jesus deconstructed some of the things that the religious leaders were saying. So we realize that that part of of construction is that top soil where our roots are just beginning to go deep into the soil. And then we get to number two, deconstruction. Everybody say deconstruction. Deconstruction. And this is where the roots have to go through a layer called subsoil. I just learned this. I feel like I learned this sometime in elementary school and I forgot it all. But there is a layer called subsoil, and that layer has rocks and clay and materials in it that really bring resistance to the roots that are going deep. And I want us to think of reconstruction in this way, in this process 
of being rooted and established in Christ. A lot of deconstruction, as I said, happens when you leave your home. Maybe you're in that space right now, or maybe you went to college and you were exposed to new things, and you began to ask questions. You were in a season of questioning, and it can be disorienting, and it can be kind of lonesome, if I'm honest. John Mark Comer talks about two different kinds of people, and this is what we're seeing right now. I mean, more polarized than ever. We're seeing kind of the group of conservatives and a group of progressives. And the conservative people and the conservative uh, kind of thinking says, hey, the Bible said it. I believe it. Uh, No questions asked. I got the bumper sticker, and I don't need to know anything else. Actually, in high school, I had a bumper sticker that said Satan sucks because I thought I was just the evangelist of the gospel kansas okay but i didn't have any questions i didn't have any doubts but but the danger that when we go to the extreme of some of the conservative thinking and the conservative environment is that it can confuse one interpretations of the bible with the bible itself it can often be corrupted by human fallenness this is real it happens Then we have this kind of view, the progressive view. We're using that language in our world. And that view includes accepting the lingo of fad ideologies, if we're not careful. It's full of contradictions and bias because everyone is saying it online. It must be true. Like the conservative view, it doesn't allow space for doubt or questions. You are labeled a heretic if you really begin to question some of this thinking and this perspective. And overall, between this conservative and this progressive view, we as a society fall more right now into the progressive view of things. We are stuck, many of us, in a limbo. We have more doubt than faith overall. There's more skepticism than confidence. There are more things we're against than what we're for. I actually looked up 101 things that 90% of the human population hates. And uh, you're not going to believe this, but number one of 90% of the human population, the, the number one thing that apparently we hate is birthday dinners. I just threw a birthday dinner for my husband two nights ago. I didn't know that that was, that was happening. Number two is splitting the check at a birthday dinner. Now that makes more sense. That makes way more, of course we hate that, Okay. Uh, another one is any sign of Christmas after December 31st or before Thanksgiving. Where are my people? You know who you are. Christmas haters. Okay. The other thing that we uh, hate is dust. I hate dust. Okay. Uh, we hate the price of couches. My mom's social media presence. People who are 27 and say they're old. And this one, this one, I, I'm just being careful because that's a lot of this group right here. Um, and I love this one. 90% of people hate having to print something. Oh my gosh. Yes, we don't have printers anymore. I can't, don't even get me started on the doctor's offices that are still using fax machines. I can't, I can't handle it. But those are the things we are. The point is that many of us are more against things. We're posting about things that we hate and that we're against than what we're actually for. This is becoming who we are and how we identify ourselves. So I think we need to get a little bit more specific about what these rocks are that bring resistance to those roots. What are the rocks? What is the material? What is that clay that's really difficult for those roots to get into? And we see that there are external reasons and internal reasons that often lead us to a place of deconstruction. 
I'm going to go through these kind of quickly. The external rocks and clay are in moments when we focus at churches or sometimes we see this in environments where we focus on grace, but we have a low discipleship culture. We're more interested in converts than actually disciples and apprentices of Jesus. Secular ideas, replacing the way of Jesus with a way of love that says, find your own truth and you'll be happy. These are the external factors. The tragic breakdown of trust in spiritual leaders. How much more can our generation take of sexual misconduct among church leaders? At some point, there is a breakdown, not just of people, but of the faith that we are living for and that we're standing for. So those are the external factors, the internal rocks and clay and materials, the lack of the fear of God, a surrender of God, the spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, a Christianity without the cross, a mind that is full of digital input rather than saturated in scripture and prayer. These are internal factors. Barnapole says that the average millennial consumes 3,000 hours of digital content a year. Only 150 of that content is Christian content. It's a 20 to 1 ratio. You become what you give your attention to. I'm going to tell you right now, if your ratio of secular ideas to the truth of Jesus Christ is 20 to 1, it is going to corrode your faith. It is going to deeply impact you. John Mark Homer says that 90% of people deconstructing their faith without a commitment to reconstruction are moving from Christian to post-Christian. And as a pastor, I am not okay with that. And I believe the church plays a role in this. So I want to ask you today, are there external factors and internal factors that you resonate with? that you see, that you're like, man, that, that has happened to me. That is something that has brought a lot of impact to my faith that has been really difficult. Do you relate with some of these factors? I want to tell you today that we need to understand that the goal of deconstruction is not the end goal. In fact, a lot of people are going through this process and they're stopping in the middle of it. And they're not moving through it. Listen, if you're in the phase of deconstruction, it is a phase. You need to commit to the process of reconstruction. Now you say, Amritha, why would I commit to Christianity if I don't know if I believe it in it anymore or not? Well, Pastor Pradeepan and I had some conversations about this this week. And this is what we're seeing happen. We're seeing that You can, it's okay. People are deconstructing their faith. They're asking questions. It's okay. But what we're seeing is a generation of people who are taking all of the bad from the church, all of the bad from experiences, and forgetting all of the good, and they're leaving their faith, they're leaving Christianity based on all of this bad and none of the good. And we're beginning to see that this decision then to abandon the faith altogether is leaving this huge hole and vacuum, we say in the church, a God-sized hole in your soul. And people begin to try to fill it with something, with money or success or or whatever. And all of a sudden we see people, uh, two things often happen. We see people that begin to have children Or they begin to run into a a major crisis, a tragedy that's happened in their world, and they have nothing to fall back onto. Their roots have not gone deeper. 
And so they realize, I need Jesus. I need faith. I need to teach my children that there is, there is a, a rock on which our morality comes from and our biblical truths come from. And this is what we're seeing. And this is why we're saying you need to be committed to reconstruction as a part of the process. Paul says in verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Listen, God is not afraid of your questions. In fact, did you know that even in this process, he can strengthen you in your inner being? I don't think this scripture is only for people who are perfect and have it all figured out. This is for the people who are saying, I have questions, I'm wondering, I want to go deep into an understanding, a greater understanding of who God is. So our process of being deeply rooted starts with that construction, that soft topsoil that those roots are going through. And then they go through a place, a series of a subsoil where there's resistance, where it's hard to break through that clay in that soil. And then they get to another level of that subsoil where fruit can be produced. And this is phase three called reconstruction. Everybody say reconstruction. 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 What does a reconstructed faith look like? I want you to know what it looks like because we know what deconstruction looks like. It looks like this. It's having a deep conviction about God and the scripture. It's having a high capacity for the strange and broken and confusing and ambiguous humans that we are and the human nature that we are. It's having a maturity of faith to operate in humility and wisdom and compassion. A French philosopher named Paul Ricoeur calls it the second naivety. It's like when a child comes innocently into being happy about something and learning about, you know how kids are just so innocent? They don't know about all this other stuff, but there's an innocence that happens when you are walking through the desert. You've come through the desert wasteland of modern skepticism. There is something on the other side of modern skepticism. Reconstruction is rebuilding a worldview of mental maps to live by that previous generations, I want you to understand this, billions of people have gone through deconstruction of their faith before us, and we can begin to realize that we don't have to start with a blank slate. We can begin to realize that other people, there is a reason why we are still singing amazing grace, why we are still singing Jesus will never fail us. He has not lost a battle. For generations, people have deconstructed and they have come out in a place of reconstruction, anchoring their lives on Jesus Christ. And Paul says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. You can trust that God can do immeasurably more with your questions than what you could ever believe. He can do immeasurably more with your faith. The things you are certain about and the things that you are not certain about, he can still do immeasurably more with your life than what you could ask for or imagine. Deconstruction is only helpful if it's followed by reconstruction of something better, of something better. So I want to encourage you. I know that the church has often not held a great space for this process. 
But I want to ask you that if you're in this process, if you face this process of deconstruction, will you bring a pastor or a church leader? Will you bring somebody who has gone through some stuff and come out on the other side with some faith? Will you bring them into your journey? Here at Kalos Church, we will walk with you. And I'll tell you what, we will unapologetically lead you to Jesus. But we will be patient and we will be kind and we will not shame you for the questions that you have. Because the body of Christ plays a part in this process. And many of us will face it or have faced this before in our lives. The question you need to ask yourself isn't if you'll ever walk through this, but who will you walk through this with? Bring people into it. The worst thing you can do is walk through the desert of modern skepticism alone. Listen, there's a bunch of tribes in the desert. Let's do it together. Let's do it together. You don't have to be alone. I'm going to close with this story. I never imagined that my greatest crisis of faith, my greatest point of deconstruction was going to be while we were church planting. Man, people told us, listen, when you church plant, you got to be at the top of your game. you got to be strong spiritually. And you know what? We were. And we were pumped. And you guys have heard this story so many times, but, but I just want to continue to be transparent with you as a church. We go through this time when we have a little baby boy and he begins to grow and develop perfectly. And at age 18 months, maybe 22 months, we begin to see that something's wrong. And not everyone who is diagnosed on the autism spectrum, which you will hear and and have heard about our son, not everyone goes through this process of regression. But what ended up happening is in a, a span of six months, our perfectly developing little boy lost everything. He lost his ability to throw a ball back and forth. He lost his ability to make contact, make eye contact with us. He lost so much. We experienced a death in our family. And I tell you what, watching this happen and being parents who could do nothing about it, we had some questions. We came to a place of what in the world. And so you know what I did? I went back to my construction. My construction said, pray for a miracle, contend, get on your knees, do whatever you got to do, call the intercessors. We got to pray for a miracle. And I went to that that construction and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And my prayer started feeling empty. And I felt like, oh my gosh, God needs faith in order for him to heal my son. I don't have the faith anymore. I went back to the what I knew, and it wasn't all bad, and we are still praying for miracles for our kid. But I want you to know that we began to ask questions, and you want to know the greatest thing that I felt? I felt betrayed. I didn't feel actually betrayed for myself. I felt betrayed for my kid. He couldn't even get to two years old before his life was stripped from him. That is how I felt. And I say that is how I felt because that was not the truth. It's how I felt. And how I felt really mattered at the time. And it really impacted my faith. But I tell you what, I committed to walking closer, walking forward to Jesus, the one who I felt betrayed my son. I committed walking toward him and not away from him. And you know how I did it? I brought some people in my life who have been through the fire and have come out stronger and built their lives on Jesus Christ. I brought those people into my world. I was not ashamed to tell them. Some Christians said some really stupid stuff during that time. I'm going to be honest. We all know that. But there were some people who said, we don't know why this is happening. 
I can't imagine going through what you're going through. But can we pray with you? Can we pray for yourself? Yes, would you pray? Because I don't have any prayers left. And so they prayed us through. And this is what it meant for us to commit to a process of reconstruction. And Pastor Pradeepan and I, to be honest, we're still in this. When you see us up here on Sunday morning going crazy for the Lord, it's not because we haven't gone through anything. It's because Jesus has not failed us. He has been there for us. And he has not failed my little Obi. He has not failed him. And I believe that with all of my heart. And I came through on the other side. I tell you what, I came through feeling like I, I have experienced what Paul says. I prayed that you would know a greater, how wide and long and deep is the love of Christ. I came out on the other side of that feeling like I, I know more of his love than I ever have before in my life. And so I want to close today with this passage, Psalm 23, a passage that many of us are familiar with. I remember back in the, in the, in the lagoon days, yay, though I walked through the valley of shadow death, but now I read this Psalm 23, having been through the valley of the shadow of death. And I want to read this. And for those of you that are in this place, of deconstruction, reconstruction. I want you to hear this scripture in a new way. Let it touch your heart. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, right now in this moment, I thank you for this word. I thank you for your word. I thank you that Paul prayed even for us today that our roots would go deep and be established in the love of Jesus. And I'm praying that for my church right now. And for those of us that are in this process of construction and deconstruction and reconstruction, oh God, I pray that you would pour out your grace, that you would pour out your truth, that you would put around us some people who know how to pray and know how to be with us in this time. And Lord, I pray that for every single person in this room and watching online, that they would commit to building their lives on the rock of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for joining us for the Kalos Church Podcast. Hey, if you feel comfortable, we would love to see you and meet you in person. We meet at 945 and 1130 every Sunday at the Hilton Garden Inn in downtown Bellevue. If you want to join us, head to www.kalos.church. You can get all the information you need and sign up so we can make sure there's a safe place for you to come and experience the beauty of Jesus with you. We'll see you next time.